Most everyone is familiar with the Harry Potter series of books and movies. We're fans and enjoy that fiction uh, and the stories and following the kids as they grew up throughout that series on the, on the movies. Um, and it, the way I, uh, I did this, it was, it was really kind of crazy because I didn't read the books at first and we watched the movies for a while. And then after our oldest daughter, Amy, moved away, we were going through some of the stuff, and I found uh, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone book, which was the very first one. And so I thought, well, I'll just read it, and, and I did. And, uh, and then the final movies were coming out, the last ones they made off of the last book, and I thought, you know, I, I should probably read the last book maybe. So I read uh, The Half-Blood Prince, which I think was the next to the last book, and then uh, the last uh, book, uh, The Deathly Hallows, and then we saw the, the last couple of movies. Um, but it was just kind of interesting to me. Those are the only books I read. So I read the, the first one, and I read the next to the last one and the last one. And, um, but one of the books that I didn't read, one of the movies, The Prisoner of Azkaban, uh, has a, a fun little map in it. And on this map, you can see, follow certain people uh, where they're walking in the School of Magic Hogwarts. And, uh, and it's, it's called the Marauder's Map. And the way you open it up is uh, you recite these words, I solemnly swear that I am up to no good. <laughs> and then you're able to see uh, where certain characters might be walking around in the castle. But then to close it back up, uh, you simply say uh, two words, mischief managed. And I thought about that as I, as I was titling this sermon uh, for today. This is the last of the sermons uh, in this short little series on the seven statements that Jesus makes while he's dying on the cross. And uh, the title of the sermon is Forgiveness Finished. And it looks at the final two statements that we will cover in this series. Jesus announcing from the cross, praying, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And then what could very well be his last statement uh, from the cross, it is finished. Forgiveness finished. As we continue in uh, this online services mode, uh, due to the coronavirus pandemic, uh, we're reminded that our world, our country, our neighborhoods are still struggling uh, in this. And that it's a very serious thing and we want people to be concerned for their safety and for the safety of others and our church family is is concerned and we've been trying to keep in touch uh, with each other as as best we can and are thankful for opportunities to study uh, the scriptures together through Facebook live studies such as I do on Tuesdays and Thursdays at four zoom classes that we have on Sundays uh, and on Wednesday nights and other opportunities um, but our 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 realization is, in spite of how difficult and tragic and challenging uh, these times are, and in spite of how great a threat uh, the uh, COVID-19 disease is, it's not nearly the threat and doesn't offer near the devastation that sin brings. 
And as we consider Jesus dying on the cross, we're reminded of the serious consequences of sin, how seriously God takes it, so serious that he sent his one and only son to give his life for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. The fact that we're saved, the fact that we have hope and an eternal home with God in spite of our sin does not mean that he doesn't take it seriously and that there are no consequences. It just means that someone else uh, paid the price for us. Someone else bore the consequences. In the words of Isaiah 53, he bore the stripes that were meant to be put on us. And he did it because of his great love. So as we consider the idea of forgiveness finished, we're reminded of the seriousness of sin and the horrible consequences. But we're also reminded that God has brought his son to save us. And through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have forgiveness. And truly it is finished. So we turn, first of all, to that thought of forgiveness. And it's these words in Luke chapter 23, verse 34. And interestingly enough, Luke is the only account that includes this prayer from Jesus on the cross. When he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Luke 23, 34. Amazingly enough, in spite of our sins, Jesus brings forgiveness. And amazingly enough, in spite of the horrible, horrible things that were done to Jesus, the horrible things that were said, even as his last breaths were being taken, his response was this prayer, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. We're reminded of great scripture passages such as John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish or die but have everlasting eternal life. And then 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That theme of the righteousness of God is one that we find in the book of Romans as well. In Romans 1, as Paul uh, talks about his desire to share the gospel message with anyone, because in the, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 21, we read these words that remind us of exactly how that forgiveness comes about. But now apart from the law, Romans 3.21, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile or non-Jew for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a propitiation through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time 
so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He is the propitiation. He is the one that takes our sins and gives us righteousness. He is the one who takes away our sins by taking them upon himself. And this great salvation, this great forgiveness is available to everyone. Why? Because there is no difference because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory, which means that all, no one can save themselves. And so we look to Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that his death, his burial, his resurrection, his blood brings. And Paul says the good news of the gospel is that God provided a way. God provided a way through his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that we could be forgiven. Those great words in, the, in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If we get what we deserve, it's death. But the gift of God through his grace, through the blood of Christ, is eternal life through our Savior. Paul makes the same kinds of statements in Ephesians 2. John in 1 John 1 and 2 talks about how Jesus brings forgiveness. That he is that one who is our advocate before the Father. And the reason he can speak to the Father on our behalf is because he gave his life and shed his blood for us. And so a couple of aspects of forgiveness. One that is really not the point of this passage, although there's application and, and the one that is. First of all, the one that really isn't the point of this statement, but it's one that we draw conclusions from it, and rightly so. And that is our forgiving others. It's not only God that sends his son to allow us to be forgiven of our sins. By doing so, he gives us the opportunity to share that same forgiveness with others. The second greatest command, as Jesus calls it in the Gospels, to love our neighbor as ourselves comes from a passage out of the law in Leviticus 19, verse 18, that calls us to forgive. In that passage, Moses in the law says, Do not hold a grudge against one of my people, God says, but rather love your neighbor as yourself. When it was originally given, that second greatest commandment, the opposite of doing it and obeying it is not forgiving a brother or a sister. Paul at the end of Ephesians 4 in the beginning of chapter 5 reminds us that we are to forgive others the way God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. That we are to live a life of love as dearly loved children. It begins with God, but it doesn't stop with God forgiving us, with God loving us. It continues on. In John 13, when Jesus washed the feet of the apostles, he said, Look, now that I've served you and done this for you, I want you to do it for each other. And in 1 John, those great passages, in chapters 3 and 4, he calls us to love one another the way God in Christ Jesus has loved us. There was a study in 2014 from Erasmus University and they did the research and they concluded that, quote, people induced to feel forgiveness perceive hills to be less steep and jump higher 
in an ostensible fitness test than people who are induced to feel unforgiveness. (laughs) What they're saying is what we've already known, and that is that it's better to forgive than to not forgive. You're healthier. You're healthier if you forgive. The hills in your life, they don't look quite as steep if you don't carry that burden of unforgiven sins. There's those, those blessings, those hills can be, uh, can be pursued in an easier and better way. You can jump higher if you're not weighted down. A scientific study <laughs> that establishes that is given. We think of uh, the book by Amy Morin from a few years back, 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And the second one on her list is they don't give away their power. And the way she says they do that is by holding on to those things that people have done against them and refusing to forgive, refusing to put those things away, refusing to look ahead instead of behind. When we forgive someone, we take away their power over us. When we refuse to forgive the things that they have done badly to us, they continue to damage us and to slow us down and to take away some of the joy and hope in our lives. I think when Jesus was on the cross and he prayed that prayer to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. It was a great example for us because in that moment, Jesus was telling the Father, you handle this. You take care of this, Father. And whether the the Father would do that or not, that's a whole other story, a whole other question. And I think it's important for us to remember that simply because we forgive someone and refuse to be enslaved to the wrongs that they have done to us, that doesn't necessarily mean that God the Father forgives them. What it does mean is this, we're placing that wrong, that sin, into your hands, Father, and we trust you to deal with it however you will. But we're letting it go. We're turning it loose. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. But as I said, as important and, and as great a sermon as I'd love to preach on that one, um, that's really not the point of what Luke records in Luke 23, verse 34, as Jesus prays that prayer to the Father. But rather, it's about Jesus forgiving us. When we place ourselves at Calvary, the Latin for Golgotha, which means the skull, When we place ourselves on that hill where Jesus died, it's not one of those who are running to his defense. It's not one of those who's willing to die with him, but rather it's one of those who are taking his life, one of those who are mocking, one of those who are running away in fear. That's who we are at the cross. And it's Jesus who sees us there, in our worst moments of our life. He sees that. And it's those moments that he thought of when he was on the cross. And it's those moments that he thought of when he prayed to the Father, Father, forgive them. Forgive him. Forgive her. They don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness comes through the blood of Christ and only through the blood of Jesus Christ. God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. But then we turn to John chapter 19, verse 30, and we hear Jesus make this very simple statement. It is finished. It is finished. Likely the last words he spoke, although it could have been, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, which we covered in an earlier message. But I see these words as being the last words of Jesus. It is finished. And the idea is it is enough. This is enough. This is everything that needed to happen so that people could be forgiven of their sins. And as we think of mischief managed versus forgiveness finished, there's no comparison, none. Because of the amount of sin that Jesus took on, because of the horrible, incredible consequences that made our forgiveness possible. Forgiveness finished. It is enough. The way the writer of Hebrews puts it is that Jesus died for us once for all once for all and we read that several times in the book of hebrews and we're reminded of that song we sang my hope is built on nothing less than jesus blood and righteousness and we understand that that blood is enough it is enough it is finished and so a few passages from the book of hebrews in hebrews chapter 7 beginning at verse 23. Now there have been many of those priests, Old Testament priests, since death prevented them from continuing in office. They died. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weakness, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Going forward to John to Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Skipping down in chapter 9 to verse 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. That's how the book of Hebrews starts. With Jesus being raised and ascended to the very throne room of the Father and taking his own blood with him to that ultimate holy of holies. No 
Nor did he enter heaven, verse 25, to offer himself again and again the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And then in chapter 10, beginning at verse 1, the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, Make perfect those who draw near to worship. Verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Verse 8, first he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance to the old law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them, quoting Jeremiah 31. After that time, says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts. I will write them on their minds. Then he adds their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sins is no longer necessary. Jesus died once for all, for your sins and for mine. There is no more sacrifice that is needed. There is no more sacrifice that is necessary. There is no more sacrifice that could help. Because Jesus' blood is enough. He died once for all. It is enough finished it is finished the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord he paid a debt he did not owe i owed a debt i could not pay i needed someone to wash my sins away and now i sing a brand new song amazing grace christ jesus paid the debt once for all, that I could never pay. It is finished. It is finished. Well, what do these words from the cross mean for us today? I think they mean Jesus was human, as we have shared. It shows us that Jesus had great faith and trust in the Father. And it shows us of his great love for us. These words that Jesus shared, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Truly I tell you today, to the thief, you will be with me in paradise. To John, woman, here is your son. To his mother, about John, here is your son. I am thirsty, Jesus said. Again, human to the very end. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Forgiveness. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Trust. It is finished. Jesus' words from the cross do much more than manage our mischief. They show that the perfect sacrifice, the loving Savior, shed his blood and gave his life once for all to bring about our forgiveness. They affirm that it is finished. So what now? Now that Jesus has died, now that he has been raised, now that he has ascended to the Father, now that it is finished, what now? Now we live with blessed assurance. Now, in the words of Hebrews 12, we fix our eyes on Jesus. Now we encourage each other to be faithful to the one who died for us. And so we close today with these words. From the little tiny book of Jude, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus in this life. And he ends with this great doxology, this great statement of praise. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.